Uh, if you are visiting this morning for the first time, we're going to do something a little unusual for our summer sermon series. Let me explain. Uh, typically, if, you, if you've been a Redeemer for some time, you know that we preach through books of the Bible. Now, there's a reason that we do that, and that is because when you preach through a book instead of a part of a book, you get a picture of what the book's about, why God gave it, why he gave the author to, to write the text, and you get the sense of his purpose and intent, and only then is it right to apply that, right? But the other reason that we uh, don't uh, preach standalone sermon, sermons is because it keeps the preacher from picking and choosing texts that he wants rather than what is good for the congregation. In other words, you don't want a preacher with a bully pulpit, do you? So normally a text binds the preacher to say, this is what God's word uh, has to say. Uh, now this summer we're, gonna, we're, we're actually going to do uh, freestanding sermons. The reason that we're going to do that is we're going to have a lot of preachers this summer. Uh, we have a lot of ministerial candidates. You heard one last week. Didn't y'all think that was a great sermon by John? Uh, Matt Seipel has always done a great job. He's one of our pastors. He's a pastoral intern. Uh, Justin Clement, who's our RUF minister that uh, helped lead in worship. He's uh, preached for us. And Clay Werner will be preaching. Isn't that great that we have so many capable men? And it lets you know that it's not about men. It's about the Holy Spirit taking the gifts of men to preach the gospel. A wonderful thing. And so the theme is, what's on my mind? Now, what we mean by that is I want these men to go, here's a text that I want to convey to the congregation to edify this, this people. And part of edifying is challenging. So it's my turn this morning and next week. And uh, so I want to talk to you out of Psalm 133. It's a short psalm. It's known as uh, one of the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 to Psalm 138. And, and these are a collection of psalms that they would sing, the people of Israel, as they would go on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And the reason that was important is, is the reason God wanted them to go there is because Jerusalem was the place, Mount Zion, uh, where God had set his presence. Matter of fact, the, the, the word Jerusalem, Yerushalom, means city of peace. Of course, ultimately the city that Jesus Christ would give us, the city of peace. And so they would go on pilgrimage. And there would be thousands that would be coming from all over Israel up to Jerusalem, up to Mount Zion because it's on a mountain. And they would be singing in the thousands, encouraging each other. Encouraging why? Because they were leaving their families and their fields and their works. Why? To be reminded that we are pilgrims in this world. And you're a pilgrim in this world even if you're not a pilgrim. You are very going to live a very short life. And what we do in this life matters. Well, Paul tells us that through Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah not only of Israel, but he is the Messiah of the world, now through Jesus Christ there is the new Israel made up of Russians and Ugandans and blacks and whites, male and female, rich and poor. And we're on... A pilgrimage 
And those who are the more mature of us, who sing more in tune, who sing louder, understand that this world is but fleeting. And what matters is the eternal impact we have together as God's people on this world. And so, you know what's on my mind? I want everybody on that pilgrimage. We're the body of Christ here at Redeemer. I want you to consider whether you are actually on this pilgrimage. Whether you're part of this particular local body where we have our own clan, as it were, on the way to Jerusalem, singing in harmony together, having an impact on the city of Athens. Are you? It's a very serious thing not to go on pilgrimage. They go, yeah, y'all go on, I'll go later. So Psalm 133. It's a Psalm of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there... The Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would give us grace, that you would reveal yourself to us in such a way that we must follow you. Would we confess to you our sin of complacency? Our loss of joy because we do not know the joy of being on the journey. And Father, we do not feast at the Lord's table. We do not feast upon the gospel because we are nibbling at the edges of the tables and the fairs that this world pitifully offers. And so, Lord, um, I pray that everyone here today would be encouraged. One of the greatest encouragements is to be convicted, to have the finger put on us, to have the doctor to say, no cancer, but curable. Would you heal our hearts today, including my heart? My own love for this world, whether it's Georgia football or too much food or too much fun. Father, teach us to to understand the, the blessings you give us but in light of being crucified with Christ. We ask it in your name. Amen. Uh, Most of you know that before I came to Athens to start Redeemer, which we started 19 years ago in July, uh, I was a campus minister uh, with Reform University Fellowship, what what, uh, Justin does at the University of Georgia. We're on about 150 campuses. I was at Mississippi State, and then I, then I went from there, and, and I went to Vanderbilt. And it was during my years of college ministry that I saw not only our society, uh, but also Christians losing 
the significance of community. Being part of each other. It seems that in our generational pursuit of the American dream of personal peace and and affluence and prosperity and personal gratification, uh, the idea of community and, and personal relationships, the significance of having someone you know that you know and they know you uh, has really has been lost. We've lost that sense of what it means to even be connected on a one-on-one level, much less as a, as a level as a church or as a community uh, in, uh, in Athens. With the pursuit of individual freedom and libertarian, libertarianism and personal happiness, what Abraham Maslow called the hierarchy of needs. Has anybody ever, has ever got that in college? Anybody raise your hand? You ever got hierarchy of needs? Yeah, I see those hands. I mean, it's just the whole idea that the purpose of life is for you to kind of meet all your basic needs and meet that need, meet that need, and then at the top you self-actualize, which is self-gratification. It's for me, my own personal pleasures, and so because of this, there is this uh, breakdown of community that, that's really happened in our families, our Christian families, our families, where we divorce each other and we neglect our children for our own careers. And ultimately, we see it uh, in churches when we become sterile as churches. And all churches are, are places where people have mere acquaintances with each other. Oh, hello, Bob. How are you? How's the wife? Nothing about rebuking each other and challenging each other. In fact, I'm going to tell you, I, you high school students, I'm, we're still trying to work it out. I want to meet with y'all. We're trying to work out my schedule. I want to meet with high school students. You know why? Because I love them. I care about them. I want them to understand what reality is because sometimes I don't think they understand what reality is. And don't be offended at that, high school students. A lot of us don't know what reality is. Uh, this idea of, uh, of individualism and this desire to self-actualize has, has actually impacted the church even in its desire to do discipleship, right? Uh, some of us go to church not in order to participate as the people of God to bring this gospel together to our community, whether it's the poor or whether it's our deaf community, 1,000, my understanding, in Athens, Georgia, many who have never heard the gospel. Uh, we're to do this together. Christianity, and, and I'm telling you, if all going to church is, is for you to kind of go, wow, I'm really glad of the gospel and the grace of God, and so that you can go out and live and have a personal quiet time and have nothing to do with the body of Christ and the kingdom of God, then you don't understand. You don't understand what this psalmist is trying to say. Now, let me tell you the good news, and I see it happening. The reason I came to this city is because Athens, Georgia, if you cut it right across this loop, we have more diversity in this city than any city you'll find in America. We have the good old boy that goes to church, doesn't know why, doesn't understand the gospel, the good Methodist, the good Presbyterian, clueless. And then you have people downtown that hate God and they know exactly why. In fact, I talked to a pastor named Scott Sherman one time at Redeemer in New York, and he was telling me about their diversity. I said, we have a whole lot more diversity than you do. He said, really, pray tell. How? 
And so we went through the internationals and this and that and the other, you know, this stuff we have downtown. And then I said, uh, but I bet we have something you don't have in New York. And he said, what's that? And I said, do I have any good old boys? <laughs> he said, no, we really don't. I said, until I went up there and spoke one time, that was a nightmare. But anyhow, that's uh, a... <laughs> it's terrible to get up and start talking five words out of your mouth. They're looking at each other like, hey, was this redneck? But anyhow, I'm glad y'all understand me. But let me tell you, seriously, and I believe it's happening. I really believe that the church, and if you're not participating in it, you're going to get mad at me. You're, because you're going to get mad. But the church, the body, of the local visible church that is committed to the poor, the preaching of the gospel, that, that's committed to the orphans, that we come in here together, we love each other, we do church discipline, we rebuke each other, we encourage each other. I believe that this world is longing for that. Would you all agree? I, you know, just preaching Jesus without doing anything is one message among a thousand now. All our high school students have to do is look at the Internet, and they get all kind of different ideas. But when they see us giving our lives for this gospel, giving our money and saying, I'm sorry, we can't go on vacation because we're going to tie this year. You, you see what I'm saying? Th then I think our kids will go, wow, you know what? They're, they are practicing this message of life that Christ came into the world to die for sinners. So that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. And I think uh, the psalmist, let me tell you what, let me tell you the psalmist, I've thought a lot about this. And it was David. He would absolutely not understand fringe people. Would he? Hey, we're going off here to take out the Philistines. Uh, okay, well, we'll be back here watching the game. We're on our mission. Well, I've been circumcised. And let me tell you, the reason I want you to know this is because I want you to know, behold, how good and how pleasant it is to dwell together in unity. But if you're never around, there is no behold. There, there's, there's nothing good. There, there's nothing pleasant. There's nothing there. And so this psalm breaks down very easily. Um, it breaks down uh, with three things. Uh, verse 1 is the statement of the blessing. And by the way, if you're already tuning out on me, man, I'm telling you, I really don't, I don't understand you. I really don't. I'm just saying that in love as a minister of the gospel. It's my job. But, but th this great statement, behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And then in verse 2 and 3, he gives you a metaphor explaining it. What does it look like? And he talks about something from the past, this Aaron's beard thing that I have to explain. And then he talks about something future where Zion is longing for Mount Hermon that it would be as fruitful as that mount that the pagans worship. And then the last thing is uh, we have uh, this promise of present and future blessing that comes from this unity. Let me ask you, do you think Jesus came in here to die for nothing? Or did he die for at least anybody or any congregation that would understand it that he says, you ask my blessing and I will pour it out upon this church? 
I will pour it out upon this family. So the first thing to see is the blessing of being God's people. Do you feel blessed? Or do you feel like, man, I wish I had never heard this stuff? Man, being a Christian has been a hard thing. It's been a terrible thing. Sometimes it is, isn't it? Matter of fact, sometimes somebody in the body of Christ has to be tempered a little bit to strengthen the rest of the body of Christ. But here he says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Now, you know, we just finished the Lord's Prayer, didn't we? And, and there's two words that that prayer starts out with that I think describe this. And you know what those two words are? Our Father. Now, the, uh, the first thing uh, to see, and, and behold, uh, uh, what a wonderful thing this unity is, is that Jesus Christ has made God our Father. We, said, we say this all the time. Every religion of the world, and even secularism, and even if you don't believe anything about Christianity, I'm just telling you, your whole life is about performance. Now, let me, I mean, I'll ask you as a Christian, how many of you that go, oh, I really believe in the work of Christ he substituted for me and he had all the quiet times I, I, perfectly and then he gave that to me and I'm good and I'm great and man, I'm, I'm swimming in this grace. How many of y'all are really doing that? God is my father. It doesn't matter what I've done. If anybody knew what I've done, they would reject me, but not him. And every religion in this world is based on performance. You understand that? And even if you're not religious, families, Hold each other accountable. Here's how you have to be. And so there's no joy. There's no, behold, how good and how pleasant. No, let me tell you, anything other than the grace of God working in your life and Him being your Father is misery. It's, yeah, let me tell you, it's caused division. Now let me ask how many of you today, I don't care how old you are, if you're 10 years old, maybe that'll get your attention. Hey, you 10-year-olds, uh, or a high school student, or, or a person, or an elder, or an ex-elder, or a husband or wife, how much are you a divisive person? You always talk about everybody. You always complain about this. You don't like that. You don't like this. You see, the reason that you do that is because, God bless you, but you have not understood the love of the Father. Man, you know, you're not understanding that Jesus Christ came into this world not to die for your sins so you don't go to hell. And trust me, if he is not substituted for you, you, ha you will answer for your sins. But he, he didn't just come in to, to get us into heaven. He came in to give us the Father. Now, do you know this Father? Boy, how good and pleasant that is. You understand? So if you don't understand the gospel... Then, and you can't say, uh, Father, then you'll be a divisive person. But the more you understand the Father, the love of the Father, the more He keeps loving you and Jesus loves you, the more you'll be a non-divisive person. You'll go, this, this grace is great. Is it still just theory to some of you? Or is it reality? But not only that, not only is he our father, but he, it, we said that he's our father. It's not my father. I know he's my father. 
I've been a Christian since I was 17 years old. And I had a re-kind of, not re, re, uh, I had a re-understanding of that when I was 26 years old and wanted my father to be what he couldn't be and realized that God said, I'm, I'm your father. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. But, he, but he's not my father. He's, my, he's our father, isn't he? Mike Arnold, he's our father. Wesley Bennett, he's our father. Mary Beth Chandler Farnsworth, he's our father. In fact, I got mad at my wife the other day. It was my fault on Saturday. And I'm glad that my wife's not only my wife, but she's my sister in Christ. Uh, and she forgave me. But you know what? She reason she could is because she's my sister first. Because God is our father. Amen? All right, now, let me, let me tell you... Uh, how important this is, this Our Father thing. And I want to say something that might make some of you mad. I've thought a lot about it, and I've read a lot of good theologians about it, because I thought, man, that's kind of weird to think that way. But I'm going to tell you, and I can name off the good theologians for you people who know theology. They were saying that the family of God is more important than your physical family. And then, the, and then I, man, I was reading some unbelievably great points, but think about it. I'll be dead soon. I'm 60. I'm getting there. Thank you for the, uh, the surprise party, by the way. <laughs> and it was a surprise. I had no idea. I uh, was going to a lot of people. No, nah, you knew, but I didn't. Uh, so, but, uh, but there'll be another guy in here for too long. I'll be dead and gone. My children won't have their father. I lost my father 10 years ago. Not our father in heaven. You know, my family that I grow up in, I love my brothers. And my brother's sitting right there. We're getting pretty old, Steve. And you're about a decade ahead of me, so. But I'm gonna, I've already lost a brother. I'm going to lose more brothers. But, let, but, so, but our family's eternal, isn't it? We're just kind of starting getting going good here. It's awesome. And, uh, but, but let me tell you something else they said, and this is really true. In your own physical family, even Christian families, and boy, have we got that all wrong as Christian families in America? It's all about our Christian family, and you try to protect your family instead of sending them out and end up getting all busted up because it all ends up being about do good and be good. Don't do that. Versus, hey, kids, this is where we're headed. Hop in. Let's go. And being sent out to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what, here's what the, one of the theologians said. We put each other in boxes in our family. My dad always used to introduce me as my son, the preacher. Used to drive me crazy. I finally said, Dad, do you do you introduce Steve as my son, the insurance salesman? Rick, Rick's my son, the contractor. Uh, <laughs> but, but I'm the youngest. Middle child syndrome, older child syndrome, whatever birth order. Have y'all ever read birth order? There's something to that in there. Because it is God's providence. But you know what it says is we have a tendency to put each other in boxes and just go, well, that's the way you are. Not in the family of God. You know, I'll tell you what, as frustrated as I get on one ledger, I get incredibly excited when I see men and women who screwed their lives up years ago, but they're starting to get that God loves them. And we should be the kind of church where we go, hey, brother, I forgive you. Man, let's go on. We're moving ahead. Do you, listen, do you understand this? If you do, let me tell you what you can say. You go, you know, right, you're right. Behold, how good and how pleasant. 
Well, uh, for sake of time, I need to move to point two. Now, he gives us two metaphors to, to understand this. Um, well, I do have to read. Can, can I've I got to read one thing from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who basically says, and he died for it, but he basically says, if you're not in community, uh, then you don't understand what it means to be a Christian. He says, um, I'm sorry, it's Eugene Peterson. There are Christians who choose not to be a part of the call to worship, who take public worship lightly, who say, I love God, but I don't like that church so much. But God never makes private salvation deals with people. His relationship with us are personal, yes, but private, never. There are no Christians who are only children. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. Some are dull. Some are cranky. Some are demanding. Some are divisive. But nonetheless, they are believers. And they all have the same Father in heaven. And so the question is not, am I going to be part of the family but how am I going to be part of the family? How are you being part of the family? So, so he gets two metaphors. And the metaphors uh, we find in verse 2 and 3. And i got to explain them because he said, hey, okay, here's what it's like. And you read it and you go, I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't have a beard. And nobody ever poured oil on my head. <laughs> and... Ooh, I, I just get, you know, just get LA, you have to take a shower. I, you know, I think of syrup going down or whatever. But, but let me tell you, so, so I started reading all this stuff about anointing and all this kind of stuff. And Aaron, well, Aaron, this is very important. So, so Aaron, you see, was the first priest. The law had been given, but nobody could touch that mountain. So God in his grace gives a mediator so that we can approach. And, and God has to give that because... He can't let sin into his sight. He can't let your bad attitude come into his sight unless you're repentant. But then you have a mediator. And so Aaron's a mediator. Well, I looked up all this anointment stuff. And, and they took this uh, four or five different kind of spices that were this incredible perfume. And they made this huge oil uh, and, and mix it together. And when they anointed him, man, they like pouring, pouring a whole bucket on him. Okay, but, but, but the oil is glistening. It is setting him apart in this craggy, crusty world that oil softens things. It's a sign of the Holy Spirit that he comes upon us and he softens our hearts. And he makes us like Jesus. But also the fragrance, the perfume, the aroma that says, I will bring you into his presence and you'll have the smell of the gospel. You know, when I first fell in love with Mary Beth about 40-something years ago, uh, I bought her this perfume, and it's called Nina Ricky. And, uh, and um, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but while she was off at college, I really missed her. And so I went and bought me another bottle of that Nina Ricky. I didn't put it on me. <laughs> but, you know, I'd have it by my bedside table, along with her picture, but there was something about smelling that fragrance. Made me think I was right there with her. That's what he's saying here. But let me tell you what else he's saying. Is imagine all the sons of, the, uh, of Aaron, the Levites, imagine that they go, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be part of this system. There would be no mediator. You got that? 
That's what he's saying. That if you are a Christian and are born of the Spirit of God, you are a prophet, priest, and a king, and you are to be taking people in the presence of God. And we're to do it together, right? You know, one of the things I love about some of y'all, when I go to eat different restaurants, I always leave big tits, number one, because my wife told me I had to. But number two, it says to them, you know what, Hal knows my name, and he leaves nice tips. And you know, everybody I meet at Redeemer, they leave big tips. So, so we're an aroma. Or you're not. And then he talks about the, the, the oil. The, 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 it's like the dew that comes from, from Mount Hermon to Zion. You're going, well, what's that all about? Mount Zion is the city of God. It's the people of God. Now, let me tell you what Mount Zion was. It was a rock, a little bitty rock that grass didn't grow on. Now, why'd you choose that city? Mount Hermon, 16,000 feet high, snowy tops. Dew would come off of it. It would melt, and the waters would come and refresh the whole Palestinian area. And so it was worshipped by the pagans as the mountain. Not that mountain. And I'm sure the Jews were like, oh, if only Mount Zion, the dews that come from them in the waters would, would flow out of Mount Zion. Isn't that Pretty, pretty cool picture. So, so the, the psalmist is not only looking at the past, bad Aaron, but now he's looking at the future in that day when Mount Zion would be lifted up. And you know when it was? About four or five hundred years after these psalms of ascent, when Jesus Christ came in, not on a big horse, captain of our salvation, no, let me tell you what, he humbles himself and he comes in on a donkey. And then he comes into Jerusalem, and he doesn't go uh, to the Mount Temple. He goes outside to another mountain, even more horrific, called Mount Calvary. And he was crucified. Why was he crucified? I'll tell you why. And you need to listen to this. For his people. And he's buried your sins if you're a Christian, and he's raised from the dead, and now the Holy Spirit has come. And so out of Mount Zion, now we have this holy hill. It was always pointing to this heavenly Jerusalem. Now, have you been born again? Has the Holy Spirit been poured upon you in which you know that God is your Father? Then I'll tell you what, you'll be less and less a divisive person. You won't complain that much. And if you do, like I was with Mary Beth yesterday, we had two different views of our day. Again, I apologize, Mary Beth, I do, but I've already done it, and I was sincere. I think she believed me. But, but you know what? I think if I hadn't had the Holy Spirit, have, you, have any of you Christians ever felt your heart locking down and you're like, nah, I'm going to stay right here? And then, and then the Holy Spirit says, but you're saved. She's your sister, and you're wrong. Thank God my wife forgave isn't this what we want in the body of Christ? To be that kind of church? Well, the last thing, so it gives you these great metaphors, right? Past, what God's done, participating, body of Christ, priest, we're all prophet, priest, and king. Here's the last thing to say. Finally, we have this promise of present and future blessing that comes from this unity. What does he say there? What does God's word say? For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, 
life forevermore. No, I might bless you. No, he has commanded it. Why has he commanded it? Because a greater than David has come. And if you know the forgiveness of sins and your own sin, and that they're all gone, they're imputed to Christ, far bit that you will live a life in the flesh. You, by the Spirit, will crucify your flesh. If you don't understand what I'm saying, I don't know if you know Jesus. You might like Redeemer, you might like Reformed Theology, you might like all these things, but you see, to know Christ, uh, to know forgiveness on a continual basis, to be one with Him, right? It's a very unusual religion because when you get united to Christ, you get hooked up to me too and everybody else throughout the world. You say, well, how would I know? Well, the text tells us that the Lord has commanded His blessing, even life forevermore. Let me give you two quick illustrations and I I end. Um, When I was about eight years old, Daddy gave me a dime to go get a Coke. And uh, so I went down to the, that, you remember that filling station used to be service right down a block or two. So I got me a Coke. There's a Coke machine there, a dime for a Coke. So one dime, Dad gave me the dime. So I'm coming back and I meet my brother Bob and, uh, in the neighborhood. That's when you're all hanging out in neighborhoods. He said, hey man, can I have a sip of that Coke? I was like, well, I said, okay, because, you know, you kind of, you can't be an absolute jerk. No, that's my Coke. I wasn't going to do that. But you know how, have you ever done it when you hand somebody a bottle to drink and then you kind of got your hands up there? (laughs) Especially with Bob, because Bob, you know, just drank the whole thing. But so, man, he grabs that Coke and he didn't get a sip out. And I literally, literally break his teeth out. Getting that bottle out. That's my Coke. That's my 10 cent Coke. And I just never forget him looking at me like, seriously. And I realized that I, that I just lost my desire to drink what was ruining my life. I mean, Dad, if I'd gone and said, here, Bob, have my Coke, man. You have it. I'd go back and say, hey, Dad, can I have a, a dime? He says, why do you need another dime? I gave it to Bob. He'd probably say, well, here's a dollar. Buy 10 Cokes for everybody else. You said, Why? Because we have that kind of father. And then finally, let me ask you something. You ever seen any of your friends come to Jesus Christ? You high school students? You come to Redeemer, you take communion. I wouldn't take communion if I were y'all if I didn't believe the gospel. I'm just telling you. Or a college student. But let me ask you this. How many of you have have led anybody to Christ? Okay, let me ask you another question. How many of your friends have come to Christ because you've prayed for them? Let me ask another question. How many people have you invited to hear this gospel on Sunday morning? Well, okay, if you hadn't, he still loves you. But wouldn't it be awesome if instead of having people every two or three months come to Christ, if we had somebody every week coming to Christ? Would that be cool? I mean, especially through a sinner like you. Well, then we go, boy, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to be together. Don't y'all want more brothers and sisters in this group? I do. That's why I'm going to plant another church. 
So, uh, so that's what's on my mind. I love y'all. Jesus loves you more. But we need to repent of forsaking the assembling of ourselves and the participation in the body of Christ for whom he shed his blood for. 